You're listening. No. You're listening to the Buns.com Podcast Network. (laughs) (laughs) Buns, buns, buns. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Crypto Connects Cast. Today I've got a good one for you. Well, they're all good ones, but I especially enjoy this one. I sit down with Chad from Apollon. What is Apollon? Well, their ultimate goal is to make cryptocurrency simpler and easier to understand for the average person like me. More specifically, they're allowing the average person to get into master nodes. Now, what is a master node? Master nodes are the future of cryptocurrency. They're just like Bitcoin miners, but without the massive environmental cost. Instead of requiring computers to solve complex mathematical problems in order to participate in mining rewards of the blockchain, a stake of coins is put up as collateral for a server to be able to participate. This type of miner is called a master node. Of course, Chad's going to get into all of that in a second, so I'll let him introduce himself and explain to you all about it. Hey guys, welcome back to the Crypto Canucks cast. Today I have, you know what, actually I'm going to let you introduce yourself so that the listeners can kind of get used to your voice. Sure. So why don't you, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are? Yeah, absolutely. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Chad Sicillo. I'm the CEO of Apollon Investments Limited. What Apollon is, is a masternode hosting company. And the way I got connected with this business was I was investing in masternodes myself back in January, February of this year. And I was looking for good masternode projects. And I found one uh, through these developers in Austria and got on the phone with them and started to talk about what we could do with the masternode space because I felt their application was really cool the way they were going about hosting masternodes and making it easier for virtually anybody to get involved with masternode investing. So what happened next is I got on a plane and went over to Austria and met with the guys and and then headed over to Switzerland and figured out how we'd set up everything legally and properly. And that's basically how we got started and that's how I got involved with masternodes and cryptocurrency. And I'm an entrepreneur I've been involved in a number of different businesses. My most successful business was a company called G-Sky Plant Systems, which over a 12-year period we built into the world's largest green wall solutions provider. And we're in over 20 countries, and I was the guy who established most of those uh, offices in those countries. And uh, we've got, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of green walls all around the world. And those are living plants is what they are. So that's about who I am, and so I'm an entrepreneur, and I... I'm excited about masternodes and cryptocurrency, and here we are. So, from uh, green walls to uh, masternodes, it's pretty interesting. And I have some questions about your background, but I feel like the most obvious question to start with is uh, just in case, because we have listeners of all sorts of uh, varying degrees of knowledge. Mm-hmm. What is a masternode? Yeah, that's a great question, and. It's a question I get asked a lot. I, every time I explain 
what I'm doing with the pollen, everybody gets the the glazed eyes immediately when I say master notes because it's a it is a, a buzzword. But if you think about the easiest way to explain it is to think about it from a mining perspective and you think about Bitcoin miners and everybody's heard of Bitcoin miners and everybody kind of knows that you you buy this really expensive computer you plug it into the wall. The thing sounds like a jet engine and it's computing, you know, some task, um, some kind of task, right? It's encryption what it's actually doing it that from that task and from performing that it's also involved in verifying transactions on the Bitcoin network. And that miner, because it provides that work to the network, is rewarded with coins, with Bitcoin for doing that. Masternodes are the exact same thing, but without the proof of work. So the work that a miner does uh, is very power intensive and it's very, very bad for the environment, which is very important to me. And so what a number of really smart developers did uh, around 2014 or so, uh, they decided that proof of work long term was not sustainable. And that has actually been proven to be true based on a number of calculations. For example, one quote has been uh, put out there where there's not enough power on the planet, on the entire planet to mine the last Bitcoin, right? That's how unsustainable it is. Wow. So basically proof of work, it, it was a good concept to begin with, but it wasn't really thought out long term because nobody really thought cryptocurrency was going to explode the way that it did. Right. And so now you've got thousands of mining companies all around the world with thousands of machines doing this and it's sucking up a tremendous amount of power. It's just not sustainable long term. So these guys got together and what they said is they said, we need a different way to do this where we can still verify transactions, but we don't have this massive CPU overload that overhead, I should say, that is completely unsustainable. And so they created the concept of proof of stake. So the difference is, is basically if you think of it like a, of it like a poker game, that computer that you're setting up in a proof of stake network still verifies transactions on the blockchain, right? So if I transfer 50 buns coins to you, there's a number of servers out there with the ledger that are going to verify that that transaction is real, that I have those 50 coins, that you have a wallet that I can send it to, and then it's going to allow that transfer to happen, and it's going to confirm it across multiple machines in a decentralized way. So the only difference is, is that rather than have to do this very complicated encryption algorithm that the miners are doing, which sucks up a lot of power, in order to, and that's the, the requirement to participate on a proof of work network, proof of stake networks simply require that you buy a certain amount of the coin on that network. So let's say a thousand buns coins mm -hmm. and you stake them to the machine. So just like a poker game, you can't play unless you put your stake on the table. And once you've done that, you are allowed to verify transactions and participate in receiving rewards for that work that you're performing then. Now, the only difference here that is really great about proof of stake versus proof of work and how it differs from the poker game as well is that you still own your stake. So if you decide one day that you no longer want to verify transactions on that network, you can basically turn your master node off and you can take those thousand coins and then you can sell them to somebody else who would like to then spin up their own master node and verify transactions on the network. Gotcha. 
I, I think that was a pretty uh, pretty good explanation and, and uh, pretty easy to follow. So, uh, one other question before we get into your history: If there's if people want a little bit more information on Masternodes, is there a resource that you would point them to? That's a great question, actually. And I um, there's a couple of great articles that Adrian Redman on our team has written on Hacker Noon, and yeah, if we could put some links to those afterwards. He's yeah, got you know, two different. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say that you guys just check the show notes, and I'll uh, I'll get those links from you, and I'll put them in the in the show notes for anyone who's listening who wants to know more. Yeah, absolutely. Adrian is a good writer, and he's written two really great articles. One is kind of a intro to master notes and what they are, and then another one is how do you kind of decide which coins to look at? How do you vet the blockchain projects that are out there in a way so that you're actually getting involved with decent projects because there's a lot of astronaut coins out there. Yeah, the, I mean, I think that's the million dollar question is how to properly vet these things. There's uh, It's all very interesting and it seems like kind of the Wild West, so it's pretty tough to, to decide where to, uh, where to put your stake, so to speak. But we'll get into that in a second. So you mentioned earlier that uh, you, you went from green walls to master nodes but how did you get uh into green walls to begin with like where where's your educational background how did you well i I have a million questions but let's just start with the education where did you uh where did you go to school what did you take how did you get into this to begin with sure yeah i I went to mcgill university and uh, i'm older than most people in the crypto space so i'm 42 years old uh most people are pretty (laughs) young in this space but I, I went to McGill University and I studied uh, music technology. And oh, okay. what it was is it was basically like half a music degree and half a computer science degree. And I also had to take engineering classes for electrical engineering and so forth. So a lot of people that came out of that program would end up going and working at Yamaha and they would design instruments, right? So the electronic boards, the keyboards, um, you name it, right? Uh, so there was, it was a great program. It was very interesting. And I got to learn really two things that I love. One was computers and computer science, and the other was music. And <clears throat> from there, I went and worked in Boston for a couple of years, and I worked on a European rail ticketing system, and this is during the internet boom. And that was sold to your rail, I think, in 2001. And then I started working with a company called uh, ALS Therapy Development Foundation, which is, if you guys are aware of the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge, uh, I was employee number seven there. Oh, and wow. And I worked, yeah, this is way back when it first got, like, ALS TDF was just starting. It's actually TDI now, but same difference. Yeah. And they, uh, so anyway, so I worked there for about a year and a half as their bioinformatics guy. And so what I was looking at was all these data sets we were getting back from research and in vivo studies and putting them together to try to find patterns in the drugs that we were administering, administering to these different uh, experiments and then how, the, how it was affecting the brain. And so how could we then apply uh, drugs that were off the shelf and already approved by the FDA and toxicology had already been completed, how we could then apply those to ALS in a way that could show some sort of efficacy that we could get to patients immediately. Because ALS is a very terrible disease in that once you're diagnosed, you really have about two years before you die. And it, it's the, the way that you die is absolutely horrendous. So I won't even get into that. But So I did that for a little while. Um, and I was working crazy hours and I was getting really stressed out. But I went over to Japan to um, visit a friend 
who was teaching English there uh, during that time when I was living in Boston, and I absolutely fell in love with it. And I knew I wanted to try something else, and I was 25 or 26 at the time, uh, and just kind of explore the world a bit. So what I did is I got on a plane, and I got a work holiday visa, which we were talking about before the podcast started. And I went over there, and I started working with this company called Tajima Roofing. And at Tajima, I discovered and began to learn about these things called green roofs. And green roofs were basically, you know, you're going to take the ground that you are scooping up from building a building and you're going to put it on top of the roof. You're going to take that garden and you're just going to push it up. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a brilliant concept. And I thought we should have more of that in our cities. You know, I live in Vancouver, so it's an incredibly green city. But most cities are very concrete and very barren. Um, and more of that should be injected into cities, I thought. So I was always environmentally minded. I tree plants at a university and so forth. But so I decided to go over there and I did that and I learned about that. And at the end of my visa, uh, I had really gotten to know the company uh, the directors for quite well. And I said to them, listen, can I take your green roof technology and license it and bring it back to Canada and the United States and sell it here? And they said, yeah, you know, we... China, which is way closer to us, is booming, and we're focused on that market. We have no intention of going to Canada and the U.S., so here you go. Here's your license. So they gave me a license. And from green roofs, we got into green walls eventually because they were less litigious and less and at higher margins, and we had more business in that area and less competition. And with green walls, we eventually kind of got the cornerstone patent in the industry established, and... From that, we really were able to grow the industry as a whole, as a number of companies licensed our patent from us. And we really built out the Greenwall market in the United States. And then we started moving over to Europe, Middle East. I used to live in, not live, I should say, but I spent a tremendous amount of time in Kuwait and uh, Qatar and Dubai, establishing offices there because we had so much business there because it's so not green. (laughs) Obviously, it's Kuwait, it's the desert. Right. And so we had a lot of uh, demand for green walls. And uh, then from there, we went to the Philippines, Australia. Uh, I could go on and on. But so I was flying around the world, you know, literally once around the world one month. And then I was at home for a month and kept on growing that business out. Um, the reason I moved into masternodes and, and technology again was I, after about 12 years, uh, the business was just humming along and it was good to go. And I thought, well, you know, I kind of established a pretty nice rock for myself here. Uh, I'm getting bored of the day-to-day management. I want to try to do some other things in my life. So I had a discussion with the board of directors and we discussed a, a six-month exit where we bring in some somebody else to manage the company and I would step out of the day-to-day operations and I jumped into technology again. But how did you discover uh, crypto and masternodes and all that stuff? I'm always curious. Oh, because yeah, it's, it's so new that I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, like everyone has a different story of how they first got into it. Yeah, that was interesting. So um, another business that I'm working on right now, and it's it's actually just picking up again, is a company called Dojo. And what it is, is it's a financial literacy tool for kids that we sell to banks. And we basically plug it in directly to a youth account and it allows, and then it has all these features around spending and saving and uh, giving and so forth. And it basically teaches kids to be a lot smarter with money down the road. And I got involved with that. And during that time, of course, in financial technology space, crypto was creeping in pretty quickly. And I came across Dash, actually, for the first time at uh, Money 2020 in Vegas uh, a couple of years ago. And they had a booth there. And I thought, well, this is really cool. And I had no clue 
you know, really what masternodes were or anything like that. The guy was explaining it to me, and it, honestly, I was glossing over. But I thought it was really interesting. And so I started looking into it a little bit more. We started looking at the potential of bringing a coin into Dojo and seeing if that made sense. Uh, it didn't make sense, so we decided not to do that. Uh, but I started investing in masternodes on my own, and I went to the Bitcoin Miami conference and met a bunch of people there uh, that was just this past January. And from there, when I started investing in those masternodes and so forth, uh, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, I started getting involved in looking for interesting projects that I could help out with. And I came across the appalling guys. And uh, yeah, the story goes on from there. Well, I mean, I think that's probably an interesting launching point into talking about Apollon because, uh, you know, making an app for children is probably not that dissimilar to try and making to, to me, <laughs> try and make an app for simplifying uh, cryptocurrency. Because as it yeah. stands, I think the biggest problem that cryptocurrency has is adoption, right? And people aren't going to adopt oh, it yeah. because they don't really understand it. The the general public. Yeah. Um, and I, I understand that you guys are are attempting to simplify that a little bit. Do you want to speak to how you maybe can make it easy for us simpletons to understand? Sure, I'll do my best. Uh, <laughs> you know, the our mission at the end of the day is to empower you know good blockchain projects with masternodes, but then also empower young people uh, to come into the cryptocurrency society. Because we do believe that it's going to take a while for this to kind of come on. It's going to be more my son and the teenagers of today that are really going to adopt it and really get it going. But I don't think they're going to adopt it because it's cryptocurrency. They're going to adopt it because of the advantages that it brings to them uh, in a less kind of uh, nebulous way. Right. Like cryptocurrency is very hard to understand if you haven't really kind of wrapped your head around it. So we want to help like both good good blockchain projects and young people that want to support the projects, right? And that's really what this is all kind of coming down to is young people see a cool project, but then they have no way to uh, become involved in it. And that's where ICOs evolve from and so forth. And so we want to try to make those things come together in a meaningful way that can be measured in real terms. So we had to ask ourselves a lot of really tough questions when we really got going with the project and we started off by asking the first question, which is how can we expect the cryptocurrencies, the cryptocurrency economies of today to gain traction if there is no simple and user-friendly way to participate in that economy? And if you're jumping from coin to coin to coin uh, just to purchase products and so forth, uh, people are just going to be, there's too much friction there. They won't do it, right? And right. so there's a few different things that have to happen and in order to get that mass mass adoption, um, you've got to get rid, rid of that clunky and difficult experience of going to an alt exchange, buying coins there, and then moving them back to BTC and then buying a different coin so you can go and do this and so on and so forth. And there are a few companies that have done a really great job of doing, you know, of actually opening up the access to Bitcoin, for example, obviously Coinbase, uh, Einstein Exchange here in Vancouver has done a good job of that as well. But most experiences with cryptocurrency today are just downright impossible for the average person. So we've been thinking about what is it, what are the technologies that we need to build, right, in order to support the infrastructure that provide two things, and it's a safe and secure environment for new users entering the space. That safe and secure environment is the key to opening up cryptocurrency, in my opinion. So, for example, the idea of maintaining a wallet on a computer that if you lose your keys for, your money is just gone, 
mm-hmm. and there's no recourse to get it back, the average user, that's extremely scary, right? Especially when they know that if their bank account is hacked or credit card fraud occurs, that they have some kind of recourse, right? That they have FDIC insurance in the United States or CDIC insurance in Canada that will cover it. When they have that recourse, then they ask themselves, well, why on earth would I take my cash in the bank account and put it into such a risky position, especially with the fluctuation in the market and so forth, when I have a perfectly safe and secure position for it right now? Like, I don't, like most users are thinking, hey, like, what am I doing on Friday night? Or I wonder what I'm going to make for dinner on Sunday, right? They're not tuned into the cryptocurrency idea. So that's actually the innovation I believe that Coinbase really brought to the market was that they brought FDIC insured accounts. And so people were like, okay, well, getting credit card payments that honestly, that wasn't that difficult. It was getting FDIC insured accounts that was important there. And they had to have credit card payments, they had KYC, they had to have all these things in place to do that. But at the end of the day, the user was like, oh, no, it's a safe and secure place for my cash. Right. And I know that if somebody hacks my, my password or whatever, I can call somebody and I can get my money back. You can't do that today with crypto. And I think there's a disconnect between the current crypto community's mindset of this idea where, you know, you can't trust the banks and so forth and the average consumer where they say, no, I generally have been able to trust the bank. Like I've been receiving a paycheck for the last 20 years and it's always gone in there and I've always had access to my money. That establishes trust versus a bunch of guys over here who say, no, you can't trust them. (laughs) Right. Right. Action versus rhetoric. Right. So I think that you've got to, we've got to break down those things. And there's a lot of technologies that have to be built around uh, that in order to make that happen. And we're working on all of those things right now. And do you think that it can sort of re- remain decentralized while bringing that sort of security? Because isn't isn't yeah. part of the allure of of the whole thing kind of anonymity? <clears throat> and as soon as you you know have an insured account, you're not really anonymous anymore. Yeah, and that's a that's a tougher question. And anonymity, I um, I have a different opinion on that than most people have. Like for example, if a, if a community member. I, I'm open to having any one of our community members give me a call directly. Right. Yeah. But my precondition is I have to know who you are. Right. You know who I am. Yeah. Right. You you have access to my background. You've heard me talk on different podcasts or whatever. I'm out there. I have nothing to hide. Um, if you can't have the same level of respect for me, I how am I supposed to have a, a meaningful conversation with you? Is the way that I look at it. I think it's more of a respect issue than anything. But that's just me. Um, so anyways, with it, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say that I'm, I'm with you as well. I'm kind of of the mindset that, uh, like there are certain ways around, I mean, in the crypto space, obviously if you want to do things completely anonymously, you can figure out how to do that. But as far as simplification is concerned and security is concerned, I think that, uh, like person, not, not security, I guess in insurance or, or what have you safety, the feeling of safety, mm-hmm. I think giving up some anonymity for that, for the to get the average person involved so that it can grow the space. I think it's more important. That's a great way to put it. It's a balance, right? And that's really the trade-off that has occurred. If you, yeah, like at the end of the day, if you think about how banks started, it was goldsmiths, you know, put people who bring their 
bent their gold to a goldsmith because the gold, uh, they didn't have a safe place, place for it at home, but the goldsmith had a vault. So mm-hmm. then the goldsmith gave them an IOU. And as long as they had that piece of paper in their hand, then they could get their gold out. And then currency began when they went to the next town and the goldsmith there was like, well, I've got an IOU from this goldsmith. And he's like, well, I can't verify that. So then they came up with a currency that they could verify. Okay. Yeah. This goldsmith did give that to you. And therefore I can lend you whatever 70 pieces of gold out of mine. And I know I can get it back from him. And so, you know, the anonymity factor, even in that experience immediately had to erode in order for trust to be built in the system. Right. Right. So Goldsmith 1 and Goldsmith 2 had to know each other in order to trust each other, right? Now, currency eventually got rid of that to a certain extent. Now, Goldsmith 1 doesn't need to know him as much as he did before because the pieces of paper became more standardized. And so when 50 Goldsmiths got together and they said, no, no, I don't know this guy, I don't know this guy, so let's create a standard currency that we can exchange amongst each other, That's that created that anonymity into the system again. Sure. But... Even even then, you you know you you still walked up to that goldsmith with a face with as a person, and and you you know like he's not just gonna you know give the money to a kid for example who has like a five year old kid who's got the note in his hand he wouldn't give seventy pieces of gold to him right so there's trust factor still had to be there and I think that 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 balance still needs to be thought about here if you really want insurance if you really want a safe and secure environment. You have to know that they're, and this is why KYC exists and AML exists. This is why you have to know that somebody's not laundering money or that this money isn't going to terrorist networks, or at least there's something in there that tries to track it and stop that from being put into malevolent purposes. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm on the same page as you with it. Well, okay. I mean, I think the goldsmith analogy is probably an interesting one because I feel uh, like what you guys are trying to do is allow people to open their own little small smiths here because uh, to go back <laughs> right. to go back to masternodes, right? A, a lot of people are probably involved in the crypto space uh, in one way or another where they have a slight investment. But I think that if I follow correctly, what you're trying to do is allow people to create their own masternodes, you know, a few pushes of a button. Yeah, that's right. So effectively... You know, ultimately, we are moving towards um, a decentralized masternode uh, network. That's one of the major techno- technologies that we're working on right now. Where, for example, all the nodes aren't at DigitalOcean or all at, they're not all at Vulture. They're actually at, you know, mining. We're, we're actually trying to attract the miner market, for example, and so that they would get into masternodes in a meaningful uh, way where they can make some some serious money off of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we are trying to do that, and so that's where the trustless piece there exists. But for example, if we, if somebody wants to get into a Dash masternode today, they can't do that, right? Simply because uh, it's it's like two hundred grand. So the average user can't can't do that. But if you wanted to get in on a shared Dash masternode, well, now you actually have to take custody of those funds. You have to make sure that those funds, like as a company, we have to make sure those funds are coming from a a, a malevolent source of some sort, mm-hmm. and then we have to. Put it, then we have to take care of those funds and then we're responsible for them. And so we have to become a, what's called a money service business. And you have to do that in each country that you actually want to uh, provide that shared service to. Now, if somebody just wants to buy the coins whole, whole hog and put them onto our system, but they remain, they possess custody of those coins, 
uh, then we don't have to actually verify who they are. Now, right. they very well could be a terrorist organization. They very well, they could also be a church. We just don't know, right? You have no clue who the person is. Yeah. So like the extreme sets of, of uh, the sides of the coin. Um, Are there any regulations as yeah. far as, as that's concerned uh, w- with regards to who's using the platform? Do you, is there any responsibility for, at this point for you to verify? I mean, it seems pretty right. almost impossible to do. At this point, no. The way that our software works, so our current node builder platform that's live, and we have about 1,200 master nodes that are live on it, um, we don't have, we don't take possession of the coins. What we do is we take a transaction ID when the coins have been staked on the network, and we mm-hmm. that transaction ID remains uh, locked in the wallet of the user's wallet, and then we set up the master node for them from there. So we never take custody of the coins at this point. Now, right. that being said, with our one-touch masternode purchasing technology that we're also working on, when somebody just has BTC and they send it to us directly, we have to then take that, take possession of that BTC, convert it into the altcoin, spin up the masternode, and then provide uh, custody of those coins back to the user again. Right. So we are actually going to be holding onto those coins for the same period of time that a regular currency exchange would be on the street. In which case, that requires that we are a money service business, that we do have a copy of their passport. Just like when you go to a currency exchange on the street, they're going to ask for ID, and they're going to take a copy of that before they give you your money back. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have to do that. And if somebody says, well, I don't want to use your one-touch masternode technology because I don't, I want to be anonymous, but fine, you can't use it. Uh, because we have to follow the, the, the law in that case. And they could then still use our node builder technology, go through the friction process, which is transfer their coins to an alt exchange, buy the coins, transfer them back to their wallet, download node builder, spin up the node, so on and so forth, buy XAP in order to pay for it. Like there's so many layers of friction, it's dumb. Right. But, and so we're trying to erase all that. And so the the alternative is like, just give us your passport and, and, and click here, right? Versus right. here's your three hour process of doing all this other stuff over here. And I think that it's important. I mean, allowing people to do it the hard way if they want to and yeah. uh, being more anonymous, I think it is is important. But I think it's equally as important to make it as simple as possible, even if it requires yeah. uh, more information, like we said before, because I think the only way that this technology is going to survive is if we can get as many people uh, adopting it as possible. And if we kind of yeah. keep keep it exclusionary, uh, that might be good for a few, but it's it, it, will, it will never survive. No, I agree. I agree hundred percent. Yeah. And it, it, the other thing though is like, and this, you, like I learned this in business with G sky is like we had at one point in time with living roofs and living walls. And you know, some people may say, well, this isn't an apt analogy, but I'm going to use it anyway. So with living roofs, we were finding, okay, our margins on living roofs were like 20% and we had, and they accounted for like 20% of our sales at one point. But on living walls, our margins were like 50% and they accounted for 80% of our sales. So, you know, at a certain point, you got to say, why are we doing living roofs, right? It doesn't make any sense. Right. So we cut them out. We just said, forget it. It's, it's not worth our time and effort anymore because it sucks up half of our administrative resources to buy product and get it shipped over in containers and warehouse it and then ship it across the states and Canada. Like it was just a pain in the ass. Right. right, right. So what we decided was just said, no, 
walls are where we're making our money. So let's focus on that and become very good at multiple types of walls. So then we broke into interior versions, exterior versions, multiple types of exterior versions, like vine systems versus just like one gallon pot systems and so on and so forth. Yeah. And I think the same decisions are going to have to be made here as this business evolves. And, you know, this is pivoting, right? And all pivot, all businesses pivot for their entire life, right? And so if we find, for example, that node builder platform in the anonymous format accounts for 80% of our business and has great margins and the one touch master node platform is only 20% of our business, then we, we learned that the one touch master node was not a great business decision. It makes a little bit of money, but not enough. So then we're going to focus over here on the node builder platform, which is right. anonymous. Or if the opposite is true, we'll have to make that decision too. Sure. Um, and it's not a matter of like, we don't want to support anonymity. It's that we need to support our business and we need to pay people and people need to buy groceries. Like it's really comes down to those simple, simple problems. Absolutely. And, and I think that uh, anyone who really, really wants to do it the hard way can find a, a, another way around. And I think yeah. it's, you know, again, more important to make this as, as simple as possible. So, I mean, you talk a lot about um, your time with, with green roofs and green walls. Did the green aspect of this project, uh, was that a huge sort of drawing point for you? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah because, the way I like to look. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, no, no. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt. No, it's, I just, I was just going to say, you know, one of the, uh, overall career goals that I have or life goals that I have, if you want to call it that, is that I, I really have always cared a great deal about the environment. I take my kids off and we go hiking in the mountains and go off on adventures and kayaks and stuff like that. Like the environment's very important to me. And so we should all, at least I believe, and that's what I teach my kids, is that you really got to pick a few things that you're, are really important to you in your life. And you got to, those are your North stars, right? And you got to pick them for yourself as well as for your business and for your family and so forth. And you got to stick to your stick to actually hitting that North star and you got to orient yourself in a way that will achieve that. And for me, that's the environment. And when I saw the problems with proof of work, uh, I decided this is, this is ridiculous. This is not contributing, you know, in a positive way to global warming, which is very real and very scary. And we should do something about that. And so I saw the proof of stake, option on the table. And I was like, well, I've already kind of manifested myself into a tool that is very good at kind of taking environmental objectives and making them real. And I thought I could contribute to this space. So that's why I chose the pollen and I jumped into it. I think that's, I think it's really important to, to keep that in mind because a lot of people are sort of without the knowledge investing in this space and not really thinking that cryptocurrency has a possible environmental implication and mm -hmm. uh you know I, I think that getting the message out there that it, it's not just sort of uh crunching ones and zeros out in the cyberspace somewhere that these you know projects have a a, a real environmental impact while either positive or negative and i guess in your case positive um okay so my next question is, and it's a question that we ask most people on the show, what are some of the cryptocurrencies that you currently have your eye on or um, crypto projects that you currently have your eye on? Well, I'm, I'm actually going to be uh, open about this. The, the competitors in our space right now um, mm -hmm. are actually 
great companies. And I believe that there's a lot of room for more uh, node hosting and, and master node technology development companies out there. But I'm obviously going to name our own coin, which is XAP, where you can find it on CoinMarketCap. But the other project I believe has a lot of potential is one of our competitors, and that's Jin Coin. That's G-I-N. Great company. Uh, they got out of the gate a little bit earlier than we did. They've got a little bit different philosophy on where the market is going and how they're going about it. But I still think there's a lot of success for them down the line. Um, and then I'm heavy Ethereum as well. I really believe in the Ethereum uh, mission, I would say. And I do see a lot of discussion around the Ethereum move to proof of stake. It has been talked about for the last three years and they haven't actually come up with anything real yet. But I do believe that they will come up with something. And what Vitalik has always talked about is he's talked about this slow transition from proof of work for Ethereum over to proof of stake. And it'll never fully transition over. I don't believe it'll probably be that 80, 20%, 20% proof of work down the line. Let's say if we're going to have a five-year vision about that and 80% proof of work or proof of stake, excuse me. And so that's one of the reasons I really believe in Ethereum is that they have that long-term vision because they've seen the environmental impact that Ethereum is having on the planet and they have decided let's change this and let's change it in a way that also advances the technology in the space and i that's one of the reasons vitalik's the leader in the space because he's a very very much a visionary in, in the way that he approaches projects like this well that's that's good to hear and uh, you know i i mean ethereum doesn't need our help but uh, guys if you have any money to invest <laughs> in cryptocurrency invest invest it in xap and then whatever's left over in in gin um but it's interesting that uh, that you you mentioned uh, Ethereum, another uh, a Canadian-born project. Do you think like what what is it? Do you think that that uh, about Canada that's kind of spawned all these projects? Because I feel like tr- Toronto and Canada in general is uh, one of the world hubs for crypto, the crypto space. That's a great question. Yeah, what is it that's inspired these projects to to happen in Canada the way they have? Because b- before well, yeah. all of this, I, I'm not sure that like uh, Canada or Toronto was really thought of as like a, a center for technological in- uh, advancement. I mean, obviously, we've always had mm-hmm. some sort of projects, but it's not like uh, wasn't at a Silicon Valley-esque level. But now it's I feel yeah. at, at least that it's kind of heightened. Yeah. Well, you know, being involved in the fintech space as well with Dojo and seeing the, the banking industry, the way that it's developed in Canada. Canada has a very solid banking industry. And, you know, we proved that through the 2008 uh, global financial crisis. And I think that's, that wasn't only due to the policies we had in place, but it was also due to the technological infrastructure. So if you look at, like, for example, the core banking development industry in this space, um, there's a lot of development that actually happens in Canada. So I don't know if that contribute, contributed to this, you know, that you had a knowledge base in money and technology already. And then a lot of the developers kind of came over and said, hey, you know what, I can also contribute to this cryptocurrency space as well in a meaningful way. Right. Hey, that's just, an, that's just a, an off-the-cuff answer, but I think that probably did have an effect. Well, it, it, it seems pretty accurate. I mean, Buns is a good case in point. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the two people that uh, essentially run the company uh, came from the, the banking sector. Uh, and, 
and then went into trade and uh, then buns got their own their own coin um okay well i guess the one of the last things i'll ask you then is if people want to know more or want to get started with uh apollon where do they go well, the best place is if you want to engage with our community is obviously our Discord channel. So that is the best place to meet other coin holders and have a discussion about uh, Apollon and what we're doing and how we've managed uh, our coin and our platform and so forth. And that, that's always very important. You know, I encourage everybody to do their due diligence on who we are and how we've conducted ourselves. And I think you'll be pleasantly surprised that we are a very professionally oriented company. Uh, we treat this like a like a SaaS business, and we're growing the numbers. If you want to check out our Q3 webinar, we actually do reveal our financials and our number numbers in that, and it's on YouTube. If you just look up my name, which is Chad Sichlo, uh, or Apollon, my last name is S I C Hello H E L L O, and then that'll come up on YouTube for you. But there's obviously our website as well. So our website is Apollon, and it's A P O L L O N dot one O N E. That's got everything, and it's got links to all of our social media sources as well. Awesome. And uh, how soon do you think we can see this uh, whole Masternode thing going on? <laughs> yeah, this is the – oh, boy. Our community wants to know the answer to this too. Uh, we are actually working out the project uh, details of that right now. It's already under development, but we're, you need to reorient your, your project uh, details all the time. And we're working on releasing our first version of our living white paper because we do believe that, you know, um, kind of pitching you holding yourself to a, a, a hard white paper like this is what we're going to do and we're never going to pivot is the wrong idea. I totally so agree. Be, yeah, we'll, we'll be releasing that very shortly as well. But what we're shooting for is Q1 of 2019. I can say that. I can say that with a, a certain degree of confidence that we, sh we, we should be able to hit Q1. Well... I think for anyone listening, just get on the Discord and uh, get into the whole community space, and uh, you'll probably get the news first if you do that. Uh, is there anything else that you want people to know before uh, I let you go? Yeah, well, one last thing, actually, I just wanted to mention. Uh, we're going to be releasing the press release with Syscoin uh, very shortly here. I was just on the phone with them earlier today. And they have, they have masternodes on their network as well, which we host, and we've got a number of them hosted for various coin holders. And... And the one thing that the press releases uh, focuses around is this technology that we're actually going to be applying for a patent on here very shortly. And we figured out a way actually for any master node that is hosted on the Apollo node, build, node builder platform, we reduced its CPU consumption by 50%, at least 50% for every Whoa. single that we host. Yeah. So this further contributes to our goal to really become the environmental leader in master node technology as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're really excited about that. And that's something we hope can gain some traction in the news uh, because it shows the leadership in the space and how we're really trying to broaden the entire mass node market to become mass, uh, mass adopted over time. Well, you know, I, I have to thank you for coming on and talking to me. And I really appreciate uh, what it is you guys are doing because I think that a lot of people kind of see finance and the green space as almost opposite of one another or at least at, at war with one another and i feel like the, mm -hmm. you guys have put it together in a, in a really nice way in a space that really needs some i don't know greenifying so uh <laughs> you know i really appreciate that not only are you trying to make it easier for people to 
get into the the crypto space, but you're also making it easy for them to uh, make a difference. Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, if you ever have anything else that you'd like to discuss, feel free to uh, contact us and come back on the show. Yeah, I'd love to. It was a lot of fun. Thanks a lot, Koji. All right. Thank you. That was great. I really enjoyed talking to him, and I hope to have him back again in the future. If you guys want more information, the website is Apollon One. That's A-P-O-L-L-O-N dot O-N-E. And of course, thank you to Buns, the mothership. If you guys want to get involved in what they're doing and try out their cryptocurrency, the website is Buns, B-U-N-Z dot com. Or of course, search Buns on the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store, download and get going. It's just that easy. Thanks, guys.